Uh, do you own a bike suit, like a Lance Armstrong suit? I don't. Would you like to see me in a Lance Armstrong bike suit? No, I advise against those, okay? Just go out there, put some put some regular shorts on, guys. They're more aerodynamic. You don't need the Lance Armstrong bike suit. And God knows what that thing smells like when you're done with your two-hour trail ride. They're more aerodynamic. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and done. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. I, I have to finish my list here because I would like to talk to you about my top ten performance enhancers that I use in my life. Oh, are these like are these like medical based or are these any yeah, kind mean, of performance? I mean, they're enhancer? not all drugs, but like things that have helped me with my performance and that is generally accepted see i think this is a good place to jump into uh like on this podcast today the spectrum of performance enhancers which is where i got into i got into trouble on our radio show when patrick ricey not only called me out on twitter but also had i think two full segments of his radio show devoted to me (laughs) and then called my co-host judd to bitch about me (laughs) <laughs> After he was done with his radio show in which he bitched about me. That's it's not enough venting sometimes. Maybe I was going for the shock the uh the shock method when I said I said LASIK in the same sentence as the lightning HGH and Yeah. And my let me, all right, let me lay out my point on this. Unless you have Well, I'll say this. Lay lay out your point quickly, but let's finish the episode with steroid talk. Because okay. there's tons to dive into and I promise you there are Twins fans out there that want to listen to the Touch Em All podcast unfettered with your steroid takes. Okay, and I, I'm with you on that. So I think, if you want to stick around for the steroid stuff. Let's save it. Yeah, we'll save it to the end. And one thing before we get into some of the Twins, yeah. there's so many things with the Twins right now. They just sent Byron Buxton down. It's funny to me how boring PED and steroid talk is to people, and I totally get that. Right. And I hate listening to it, too, for the most part. Sure. But... On the other side, people get so passionate about playing gatekeeper with performance-enhancing drug guys. Yeah. So if you're going to play gatekeeper and draw arbitrary lines, then you should also be more willing to engage in conversations about right. where totally. those lines should be drawn. Totally. Anyways, for Byron the- Buxton should get on some PEDs. That's my recommendation. <laughs> for the Let's steroid- save the career. Athletically, I'm not sure that that would uh, that be that's not the solution for Buxton. We could talk about that. I will have. We'll, we can wrap up this episode and. And you can get on your soapbox, and I will, I will mention the eight performance enhancers that have like greatly improved the quality of my life over the past two years. And it's, it's not, it's not all um, illicit. It's not all illegal. Like, did you dress up as an old guy holding hands <laughs> with someone in a sixty-second commercial where forty-five seconds of it is like sitting in a bathtub in the woods with warnings like? 
Don't take this medication if you've blah, 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 blah. Have you seen the 40-year-old virgin? Oh, yeah, for sure. He calls the hotline and said to call if it lasts for more than four hours. And he said, okay, well, how much medication do you take? He said, what medication? At what point should Byron Buxton call the baseball doctors? If your inability to hit major league pitching lasts longer than two seasons, please call 1-800-555. mean. Um that's it. It's a fair question. Somebody was asking me about this the other day, and they said, so Buston, uh, I slipped. Boston. They said, so Byron Buston is basically done, right? <laughs> I said, no. I mean, is it is it discouraging for the Twins? Must it be discouraging for their fans? Like, absolutely. You don't want to get almost 400 plate appearances into your big league career without much of a – there's not really like a little stretch that he went on even that's like, oh, wow, hey, no, look. See, see the abilities in there – it's just not there consistently. He's been pretty much consistently bad at the things that are his unraveling. Yes. And, and we can get into all of those things on this podcast. Um, but I, I will say as like the backdrop of everything we're about to talk about today, because I imagine I'll be somewhat negative and, and fairly critical of Byron Buxton. His ship has not sailed. I, I know there are some people who see this latest emotion as, okay, well – all the hype was for naught, and the guy that was supposed to be the franchise savior is now done. That guy's now Kepler. Max Kepler is our beacon in the mist, um, and Sano is just going to be an adequate player, and Byron Buxton is going to be a trivia question someday. Oh, who was that? Who was that top prospect? That uh, ah, God, what was it? Uh, Aaron Hicks? No, no, not that one. It was around Hicks, like it was. Yeah, it was Right around Ben Revere. It was before Eddie Rosario took the center field job and ran with it for 10 seasons. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be someone you free. If, if he busts, if he does turn into Byron Buston, he won't be someone that you're racking your brain to remember. Right. Oh, what was, what was that guy's name? Because yeah. I'll, I'll one-up your uh, sensible take with a potential Uh-oh. hashtag hot take of I, my own. I've got the hot take police on hold, mm-hmm. so be careful. If he busts, and I'm with you, I don't think the book has been written yet, you talk about 350 career plate appearances so far, and uh, a lot of smart baseball people will tell you you need to triple that or more before you really have a full read on someone. However, if he turns into Byron Buston, going back 25 years, he will be the single biggest position player bust in baseball the last quarter century. And I'm basing that mostly off of where Baseball America ranked players once they started to really... So you start talking to scouts. You start sure. really seeing a guy go up through a system. You see what their tools look like as they're facing professional pitchers or on on the other side, professional hitters throughout systems. And he was a back-to-back number one Baseball America prospect. Now, there's been some – the last 25 years, there's been some pitchers who've busted out. Brian Taylor was the left-handed guy, for the, the pitcher for the Yankees in the early 90s, who got into some kind of a fist fight or a brawl after his first or second year in the minors and tore up his shoulder in some trailer park or something. Oh I, uh, no! I I think uh, I think that was the one where he was doing knuckle push-ups in the trailer. Oh park, no! Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I think we're talking about the yeah. same story. Yeah, he went to Cleveland actually <laughs> and became uh, a really good number three starter. <laughs> is what happened. Uh, Todd Van Papa was a bust. Rick Ankiel showed some promise. Had a really good year. I think he might have won Rookie of the Year, but then just fell off the map. But as far as position players, most of the Baseball America number one overall prospects sure. are Joe Maurer, Andrew Jones, Mark Teixeira. Uh, even guys like Ben Grieve, who you might say, oh, that guy was kind of a bust. No, he was really good at the plate for three or four years and then 
sort of sort of just became uh, a part-time player. So if 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 this is how it plays out, we're looking at not a guy who you think, ah, I wonder what that guy's name was. We're looking at wow, this is sure. all-time five-tool guy who was a consensus best player in baseball uh in the minor leagues and he flamed out. Mm. That's sort of the magnitude of what the new Twins front office, whoever that may be, we'll have to is, is going to be uh, tasked with. Yeah, I mean, my name jumps to guys like, I mean, Tim Beckham, which the Be- book's not yet written, and things like that. I'd have to, so I'm going to I'm gonna hang up the phone with the hot take police because I know they've got other, you know, other uh, criminals to go chase, but I... I reserve the right to call them back. I, let me let me think about that for a while. Um, how about next week's podcast? I'll say, hey, this guy okay. was a bigger. I, now it's quite possible, based on especially when you consider the magnitude of coverage that we now have. Like now, it's very obvious. You know, we know names like Jim Callis and John Manuel, and we which just like, oh, okay, the prospect people think this. Um, and yeah, there are some highly respected. Uh, frequently correct prospect people that are, don't get major pub that aren't, you know, aren't being publicized in baseball America. All this kind of stuff. So there's there's like there's a semantical argument where if we dig into that, okay, well, how much did, for instance, how much was Alex Rodriguez covered as a prospect while he was coming up compared with Miguel Sano or Byron? A Rod also was number one on that list at one point too. And sure, which and is so that's inconsequential, but and maybe not the greatest example because he is sort of part of that era that people started to cover them. But um, you know, people well before that. I, I I am always curious about well Byron Buxton, and this is a complaint I hear often on Twitter or people responding um, to the email list that I send out on Five Thoughts, saying how can he be this bad? when the hype train was so massive. And I think that it's more of a calibration. Like we almost have to calibrate our response to the hype train because in the past it maybe was just scouts and front office executives yeah. chatting with writers who, hey, this isn't going in the daily paper, but just so you know, keep your eye on this Nick Gordon kid. He's a shortstop. You know, we drafted him a couple of years ago. You remember that? He's filling out. He's really strong, and he's starting to come around at the plate. Just just keep your eyes up and keep that nugget in the back of your head. Now it's we see every day what Nick Gordon does at the plate when he gets promoted, when he's struggling. We even hear what he's struggling with oftentimes. And I just I think we've got to calibrate to the magnitude of coverage that we have now than see, say it didn't exist 25 years ago. Part of the problem with the hype train is it's a sidecar to the hope train. And if your team is bad, and like the Twins have been bad for a half decade, the hope train starts moving fast, right? You're just looking for, okay, what, what, what can we cling on to here? Yeah. We can't cling on to free agency. You can't cling on to um, to, to swing in a big trade. Okay, so who, who who's the best prospect in the system? So it gets magnified. It's, it's hype because he's a top prospect. Baseball America has him number one. And then it's hope because that's the savior for a franchise that's mm-hmm. been bad since 2010. The question I have... Again, if he's a bust, if he just doesn't figure this thing out. And I, it feels weird even going down that path because I still think I want to wait at least 12 more months before I make a more of a definitive uh, decision on this. But but if you're comparing the other 29 teams in the league, and, we, and this is a, a ridiculous hypothetical because we can never know the answer, would Byron Buxton be in the same exact place, unable to hit major league pitching and unable to identify certain breaking balls, if he had spent the last three years coming up through 
Boston system mm-hmm. or Cleveland system or uh, the Ray. Wh- wh- pick, pick some of the franchises that you look at and say it's a really well-run franchise in 2016. Are other franchises providing players with more benefits or different information or different styles of coaching or whatever it may be? Performance enhancers, which we'll get to later in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Are other teams providing their prospects a 20% edge or a, a 15 or a 30% edge in certain areas compared to the Twins? Yeah. And again, we can't, you can't reverse time and hop into DeLorean and say, all right, let's try this again. Buxton, you're going to take 19-year-old Byron and we're going to throw him into the Indians farm system and see how he comes out at age 22. We'll right. never know. Right. But I do wonder that. Uh, the counterfactual. We've talked about this in the past. We can't. We can't know what hadn't happened, and so, similarly, we can't know what might have happened. It's the it's the biggest problem with figuring out things like we'll pull it back from baseball for a quick second. It's the biggest problem with figuring out things like economic stimulus packages. And not to make this podcast politically charged, but top leading economists, whatever their political views, would agree that it's very difficult to pinpoint whether an economic an economic stimulus worked or whether like a bailout of the big uh, the auto industry is that actually beneficial on a dollar for dollar basis some people will get their political ideas and say of course it is or of course it isn't but the objective economists will say uh I mean, it did this, this, and this, but maybe this, this, and this were unrelated to the bailout or unrelated to the stimulus package. Uh, we know that this happened, but we can't know what would have happened if right. we didn't give them the bailout. So a, a long way of answering your question or your hypothetical, bringing it back to baseball, I do not know if the Twins have been bad for Byron Buxton. What I do know is that Byron Buxton is 22 years old, and if he's not a good player in three years, it'll be like we'll be trying to figure out the math on the pie chart of blame to borrow a bit from uh, Mackie and Judd. Uh, that, okay, well, some certain percentage of it had to have been Buxton's fault. Some certain percentage of it had to have been his environment's fault. And I just don't think we're there yet. I mean, I know that we really want to rush to have that conversation. I personally am not willing to say it's not going to work out for Byron Buxton. But I am willing to say right now, and it's pretty obvious, this is one of my patented uh, limbs that I'm going out on. It is not working out right now for Byron Buxton at the plate in the big leagues. There aren't really signs that say, yeah, but okay, but he does this really well. And there's not much more he can really prove at AAA other than just going down and mentally resetting and, and just building confidence by destroying AAA pitching again like he was before. Let me throw something out, and I don't know that this is the answer. I'm just a podcast host, and I've never stayed at a Holiday Inn Express to my knowledge. But the Twins are going to be tasked with this. Do you need to go teach Byron Buxton a new swing and have him rebuild it in the minor leagues? Because it's clear that whatever he's doing, and whether it's you know a certain percentage of confidence, a certain percentage of just physical ability, and a certain percentage of like his mechanics at the plate, the things that go into producing the work, that works in the minor leagues. He's gotten not just by, not like he's just clinging on. He's thrived in the minor leagues at a very young age. Okay, well, that hasn't really shown up in the big leagues. He strikes out way too much. He doesn't seem to have good pitch recognition. His timing can get wonky. He's, he doesn't have great contact skills with the bat. 
Um, he just learned how to play Pepper for the first time in June. Yeah, which okay, I get I get that we want to uh, make a big story out of that. Personally, I'm not like I'm not gravitating to that story quite as much. Well, what not, do you I mean, think about it? It's uh, it's interesting because number one, kinda ha- weird. I don't know how you come up and play baseball throughout right. your childhood and not know what Pepper like, is. Like we always play Pepper before and after practice, and 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 I'm not the shining example of yeah. you know how to develop a, a baseball player. It's a hand-eye coordination gauge in some ways. It's just a, it's a thing that you do okay. when you're a kid and coming up, even in like junior high and high school. And it's a thing that over time, if you played enough, you just get a little bit better at. Hand-eye coordination stuff. Sure. Get a little bit better at making contact. I'm not saying Handling saying it's a make-or-break thing, okay. but you know, making if making contact is his biggest problem right now, and if there's little things he can be doing to maybe just get better and, and close the gap, the eye-hand coordination gap. You know, he's. Um, I, I I looked this up today on Baseball Reference, and it's a small sample size because he only has like 356 career plate appearances or whatever it is, but he's hitting 311 on ground balls. So if you strip oh, wow. away everything else and you just – when you make contact and you hit a ball on the ground, what percentage of the time does that ground ball turn into a hit, either an infield hit or it leaks through or whatever it may be? Sure. 311. Now, bunting, he's only dropped down about 15 or 16 bunts he's over the course. He's a bunter. But, he's, but when he does drop a bunt down, yeah, yeah. he hits 400 on those. And, so. and, and that's from a bad bunter. Yes. Right? Like, if you were a little bit better, you'd Probably think Probably a 500 guy. Maybe. Because if you're the fastest guy in baseball and you can successfully place it where you want, you're going to get on base 40 or 50% of the time. You, How crazy unless you is do that? it too much and then the infield draws in and your percentage goes down. Yeah. I'm not advocating for him to just chop the ball on the ground like Wee Willie Keeler 100 years ago and. <laughs> There's a guy named I'm going to give you a little history lesson. This is maybe this is what Byron should do. You want to alter his swing, become Wee Willie Keeler. It's the Baltimore chop. This is back in the old like this is early 1900s and he perfected the art of chopping the ball off home plate as high as it could go and he would be on first base before anyone could grab it. Yeah. That's Byron Buxton's future. Wee Willie Keeler. That's the goal. Uh I think the Twins would be very disappointed if his upside was as someone who <laughs> prayed the ball didn't leave the See, infield. See, and what's, what's, what's problematic is one of the reasons why he was the top prospect in baseball is because speed isn't just the only skill set there. He can go gap to gap. He can hit opposite sure. field. Look, look throughout the minors. He's hitting balls to right center field, yeah. triples. He's able to hit line drives all over the place. He's able to tally home runs at a pretty young age, and, and, and he can drive the ball – He's hit some towering fly ball home runs in the minor leagues. You can go back and watch some of the highlights. So you certainly don't want that part of his game to go away, but you want him to be making contact. Yeah. So is there a sacrifice in there somewhere? I think it's more pitch recognition than mechanics, but I also didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express <laughs> last night. Uh, um, so let me let – me, I've got a little nugget on Buxton, and then I actually forgot that I teased that I would share a nugget on Max Kepler. At the end of last podcast, I said I've got a story for you, and that will be next week. Good memory on that. Good Thank recall. you. I just it was it, it's an anecdote, and I thought, what's the plural of anecdote data? So, uh, the the power aspect is very interesting to me because I think Byron Buxton, you know, for for stat heads out there, I think pretty easily Byron Buxton could be a three or a four win player without being a great hitter. Melvin Upton has been sure. that. Sure, yeah, he's been a. A, a speedy guy who plays a pretty good, at least in his prime, defensive center field. Yeah. And um, would hit you some home runs and steal some bases, but was never like Andrew McCutcheon good or Mike Trout good. Well, and you know, actually, Fangraphs did a really good piece on Byron Buxton talking about 
boy, yeah, this is uh, man, this is concerning. And um, but the book is not fully closed on Buxton because they brought up players like um, Milton Bradley who struggled at the beginning of his career. Um, I'm trying to remember who else. I'll actually pull it up here because it should be pretty easy. Um, Milton Bradley was a player who, for like two or three full seasons, I was like, whoa, there's a toolsy bust. And then Milton Bradley was a pretty good player. Mm-hmm. I mean, think what you want about him, you know, off the field and all he that stuff. He was a stuff, psycho. But, like, but Milton Bradley, good at playing baseball for a number of years. Um, he brought up uh, the author of this post also. I've, I'm looking at it right now. It's called The Changes Byron Buxton Has and Hasn't Made. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, Brandon Phillips, Carlos Gonzalez, Miguel Tejada, players who struggled so badly at the beginning of their career that people thought, oh, this ain't going to work. And yeah. then Milton Bradley's a great example. His first two years, I'm glad you brought him up. I, for, I totally forgot how bad he was the first couple of yeah. years. Uh, his first two years as a 22 and 23-year-old, pretty similar age, Milton Bradley hit 222 with a 288 OBP. And uh, slug 329. Struck out 97 times in uh, 119 games. So the strikeouts weren't quite as bad as Buxton's. But but then, and then he was okay. His third year, he was sort of uh, up in the 240s and just coming around a little bit. It took him until 25 years old before he became a really serviceable good player. Not that there's a direct comparison between Milton Bradley and Byron Buxton. Right. Because we could probably pick out a bunch of others who started off poorly and Aaron Hicks, and just were not good major Right, or guys who are so talented and then you don't know their name because they, uh, for any number of reasons, don't wind up on those lists or they don't surface at the Like Matt Laporta is one that comes to mind, too, and he was a different type of hitter. He's more of a corner infielder, uh, power guy coming up through, was it the Brewer system because they traded him for CeCe Sabathia. Milwaukee. And he was a can't-miss power prospect. Strikeouts, but he's the centerpiece yeah. of any prospect deal, right? This was at the time, and I've talked about this in the past, I used to follow prospects so very closely. For fantasy leagues? Yep, exactly. Yeah, me too. And so Matt Laporta, I remember thinking like, whoa, good for the Brewers for gambling on CeCe and Ben Sheets. Well, how and just can you give up happened? Matt Laporta? Right. Oh, my God. That and being like, oh, <laughs> what a disastrous mistake. Uh, Cleveland, good on you for going to get Matt Laporta. Uh, what, what was their GM at the time? Uh, oh my he's now gosh. their president. Um, Cleveland's president. Uh, Shapiro. Uh, Shapiro. And I remember thinking, like, Shapiro, you dog. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well, ride that rough. Matt Laporta horse <laughs> into the night. I was and rough. he was a terrible major league hitter. Yeah. Sometimes, but, but age 22, 23 is not the age to label someone a quad A player. If you're 25, 26, and it's still not working for you, Alex Meyer, mm-hmm. Aaron Hicks, yeah. Chris Parmalee, former first-round pick, sure. now you've become a quad-A player. And you then, cannot be a quad-A player at age 22 right. or 23. And then even rarer are the examples of players who do uh, cleanly emerge as actually great players. I mean, Jose Bautista, um, there was the Chris Colabella where everyone was talking, oh, you know, wow, where did this come from? If He just needed his chance. Well, he got popped for steroids. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, Colabello a- was eighty like, game suspension, right? Yeah, he, that's, he wow, that's right. He busted out, and then it was like, oh, classic twins getting rid of him. Well, okay, I'm not, I'm not alleging guilt or innocence. I'm not the jury here, but baseball decided that he had tested positive and slapped him with a sp- suspension. So, Danny Valencia is another example. Like late twenties, I'm not saying it's impossible for people to emerge in their late twenties, but just generally, you kind of 
you kind of see this trajectory and Buxton is still on the very front end of it. That's the, it's the hard thing to stress because now we've seen him for you know more than a full year. We've seen his warts exposed mm-hmm. and everyone has the scattering report. Buxton doesn't recognize pitches very well and is perfectly willing to chase outside of the strike zone. You know, let me uh let me sprinkle some positivity on this conversation real quick here. The Twins have been one of the hottest teams in baseball over the past month and a half or so, past like uh, 35, 40 games, somewhere in that ballpark. This offense has been the highest-scoring offense in baseball by a long shot over the last 30 or 35 days. These are all small sample sizes. I'm not saying that the franchise has been cured and that everything is fine going forward. It's a good hot stretch. But because of some of the players in question, Rosario, green light again the light bulb has gone on for him again at the plate he's just a better hitter now than he was at the beginning of the year and than he was last year since his latest recall we'll see how that ebbs and flows Um, Jorge Polanco walking more than he's striking out so far in his big league career Miguel Sano bumps in the field I know the coaching staff called him out last week actually called him out on our radio show very weird the way they handled that we can talk about that in a second but I'll let you finish my my grand long-winded point is if Buxton does have the light bulb go on and Max Kepler's light bulb went on and Miguel Sano even with some of the warts is one of the best young power hitters in baseball this lineup is already shaping up into being a potential force yeah Dozier without Byron Buxton right if you add Byron Buxton and Brian Dozier's in the mix next year, and Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario. I mean, we're Jorge Polanco, I think, is going to be a really solid overall player. If he's in Minnesota. I th- and I th- that's, a, that's another podcast. Yeah. Another podcast. Right. But yeah, I is. think they'd be fools sure. to sell on him right now. Fair enough. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy who, in Buxton, who doesn't need to be a great hitter at the plate. He doesn't right. need to be Tony Gwynn at the plate or no. Paul Molitor. He needs to use his speed and put the ball in play and win a gold glove in center field and steal bases. And if it means hitting 250 to get on base at a 300 clip, but you steal 35 bases and you play gold glove defense and you score runs and you hit seventh, like, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, an, that's an all-star player probably three times in his career if he does that. I'm okay with him hitting ninth. I mean, if he breaks spring training next year, and let's say, I'm very curious to see how it goes the rest of the way. Let's say he goes to the minors and succeeds. Is he a September call up? I mean, he, he almost has to be, right? If he succeeds, he'll be up. If, if he, he doesn't, doesn't will succeed, he be will he be the Dozier case from three years ago, where right. they sent him down because he wasn't clicking in the big leagues, and he wasn't clicking then in AAA the rest of the season, and they told him stay home. They did the same thing with Aaron Hicks, so they are not above doing that. I think the difference. And now I I didn't cover the team when the Dozier thing happened, so I this is all um, speculative on my part. But I don't think a message needs to be sent to Byron Buxton. I, like for example, they clearly felt like they needed to send a message to Aaron Hicks, and I'm not one of those, you know, the hot take police are not on hold when I get on a microphone. Put it that way. But it was so patently obvious that they were making a point to call out Aaron Hicks in the media because when they said yeah I mean it was Ron Gardenhire at the time and he said some days this kid gets to the park and doesn't know who the pitcher is promise you I promise you that Aaron Hicks was not the only player in that clubhouse that had that and as long as you get to the park and you do your work and you do your preparation it doesn't matter if you know what the guy's name is when you get there in your uber or whatever Okay, but it's if you don't do that prep work, that's the kind of stuff that starts to be like really kind of, of a damning accusation. 
Um, Miguel Sano. Do you really think they were going to send Miguel Sano to the minor leagues when Trevor Plouffe was ready to go? I don't think they considered it. But I think they floated that out in the media, and that was talked about a lot, and it became a talking point. And Twins fans are now thinking, man, yeah, they flirted with sending down Sano. So that Miguel Sano knows that he's not bulletproof. Yeah, it, it was funny that Molitor came out a couple of days ago. This is we're recording this on a Tuesday. He came out either Sunday or it might have been yesterday, and he said something like, "Yeah, I feel like um, Miguel probably took too much of the brunt of the blow there. I probably wasn't probably wasn't fair that he took all that criticism." Like Paul, yeah, I mean, you you sort of perpetuated the criticism. This is and a it, major league organization, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right? Nothing. Uh, I feel like we could do five podcasts right now on individual subjects, but let's one, do it. One thing that drove me crazy last week Mm -hmm. you had a lot of i'm not going to call out names here but you had a lot of smart people in the local media and even like the local sort of twins twitter that we all get we all sort of follow and get sucked into and it drives me crazy when smart people look at the sano twin situation and just blindly assume that well the player's doing nothing wrong the twins the twins yeah the twins are a bad franchise right now over the past six years it doesn't mean that they can't be right in some ways about Miguel Sano. Sure. Miguel Sano is already a really good hitter. In fact, I think he's played 160 career games at this point and has like 36 home runs, 100 RBIs. So first full season, when you account for the first 160 games, one of the better power hitters in baseball. And that's a fact, and that's great. Yeah. But that doesn't also mean that he could, he, he, he could work harder. He could add some extra elements defensively to his game, like not dropping pop-ups or just... Now, of course, on the flip side, the Twins, they they ran him around and they had him in right field. They had him not taking ground balls at third base for a long time. My point on this is it's a fact to say that the Twins have a bad franchise the last six years, and it's a fact to say that Miguel Sano probably isn't putting in the necessary work to be great he might be good because he's naturally talented, but do you want to be KG great, Kobe great, where you're, you have skills that, that are almost unmatched and you also have a work ethic that's almost unmatched? Mm-hmm. It's fair to say that. It's also fair to say that the Twins might not be a trustworthy organization to yes. sort of oversee the growth process. Sure. But it's not, it doesn't have to be a black-and-white argument. It doesn't have to be Team Twins or Team Sano. It can be both, regardless of how bad the franchise has been the last six yeah. years. And I'll say Miguel Sano's done a lot of work coming up through the minor leagues. I think the concern would be if he gets here, hits a bunch of home runs, and thinks, "All right, sounds good." You know, it, the, it, I thought it was particularly telling that the Twins did ask him to lose weight, did not want that publicized, and then he gained weight, and he did not spend very much time in winter ball. Uh, I'm not saying you have to go teach yourself right field in winter ball. I st- I still stand by the, the my my belief, my stated belief that the Twins screwed up by trying to put him in right field. I think they messed up that decision but it's telling if you then blow off winter ball which Sano effectively did I know there was a little injury but he also just kind of flew back to the states to hang out a little bit I'm I think Miguel Sano is going to be a great player I do think Miguel Sano needs a mindset shift or or at least just a little ramp up to realize uh, some of the gifts and some of the the fact that hey your hard work has gotten you to this point, but as Paul Molitor has stated in the past, once you get to the major leagues and you have established yourself is when the work starts. Yeah. The work begins now for Max Kepler, which if you're Kepler, depending on your mind state, you might sit there and think, oh, are you kidding me? I've just worked for 
seven, eight years, not only to get signed, but to work my way up through the minors and then finally get here. I'm finally named AL Co-Player of the Week, and I'm one of the front runners for American League Rookie of the Year. Things are going good. You're telling me I've got to do more work? I don't think that's Kepler's mindset. I think Kepler's mindset is, okay, what's next? What more can I learn? Throw something at me. I'm happy to figure it out. And if there's something you want me to add this offseason, it's like the old NBA example. Add one skill set to your game every summer, and suddenly you're a complete player in five years. But if you don't do the work that summer to get better at your post moves or to extend your range to become a three-point shooter, it doesn't just happen. I, I think this outlines the belief, um, whether it's within the Twins or just around baseball, around sports in general, there are a couple of – you can be anywhere on the spectrum from cares so much that you're – like otherworldly focused like a Kobe Bryant, like you just mentioned, or uh, baseball's not even my in my top three favorite sports. I'm just pretty good at it, and I was able to make a career out of it. I'm, I'm kind of happy to sort of be here. Um, I'm not saying that's Sano by any means, but if you think he's to the far right on the spectrum, yeah. you're mistaken. Well, there's just, yeah, I, I, I use the cross-sport comparisons of KG and Kobe Bryant. If you chances are if you if you're one of the top five players in your respective league, you're not doing it just because you're talented. You're also the first guy to show up and the last guy to leave. And you're probably a little crazy in terms of your off season regimen, sure. right? And you're obsessive. And he doesn't have that right now. Sano doesn't. Now Justin Morneau was accused of not having that in two thousand four, two thousand five. And Torrey Hunter confronted him in the clubhouse, and Ron Gardenhire had to come to Jesus meeting with him, and he, he was a young guy, had some early success, and then mm-hmm. maybe got a little comfortable. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Uh, was that your Kepler anecdote? That is a Kepler anecdote. Give us your I've got, give I've us got the a Kepler anecdote that you've got. Briefcase full of them. Um, it, it, well, okay, so I'll, I'll give it here, and um, we also have to wrap up with our steroid stuff, too, because we, here, we here's what I'm, at the beginning. Here's what I'm going to do with the steroid okay. stuff. Because uh, I don't want to drone this podcast on for 25 more minutes. And quite frankly, you and I have to go into something else here. Um, so if you want... A fist fight. Let's just yes. call it what it is. We are going to bare knuckle box. Yes. Uh, and then we're going to thumb wrestle too. It's going to be weird. <laughs> if you want my uh, sort of controversial thoughts on Alex Rodriguez and steroids and PEDs in baseball, we dove all in at the top of the second hour of the Mackie and Judd podcast on Tuesday, what's the date today? August 9th. August 9th. So Tuesday, August 9th. Hour 2? Mackie and Judd podcast, Hour 2. It's the first two segments of Hour 2. And tell me this. I, I usually listen online, so I go to On Demand and listen to the radio show. Do you? How else do you tell people, hey, go go listen to the show? Uh, iTunes, you can download the podcast, or you can go to 1500ESPN.com, and there's a, a Shows tab, and just click on the Mackie and Judd cool. show page. So. So we'll do that. Maybe you and I can dive in in another podcast, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want to just repeat everything I said for the sake of time. I still have my eight uh, performance enhancers that I will get to. Um, but the Kepler anecdote, um, it was really interesting to me during a conversation in spring training. I asked Kepler, and I wrote about it on the website. I don't remember what the title of the column was. If you're really devoted, you can go and find it, a piece in March on Max Kepler by Derek Wetmore. But um, the – conversation started off by saying like hey you know you're you had such a successful season last year kind of really bust on the map and i i even told him i said it's kind of my contention that uh you know in an organization without a buxton sano tandem sort of leading the prospect lists you'd maybe get a lot more pub are, are you sort of comfortable being in the shadows and he was 
And I said, well, okay, so with that as a backdrop, I mean, you kind of look around the room and, I mean, yeah, Tory Hunter's retired, so that opens up a spot, but it sounds like the Twins are going to move Miguel out to right field. I mean, they're they're hoping they got their center fielder here in Byron Buxton, and then Eddie Rosario had a pretty good year last year. Um, so not to be awkward, but like, what does that mean for you? And he kind of he was short with his answer. Um, he said like yeah, the sports cliche. I thought he was just going to blow off the, the train of conversation, and I was going to have to find another avenue. He said, "I I don't think it means anything. I mean, you know, work hard, see what happens." So I was like, okay, well, let me go back for one more bite at the apple. Let me see if I can, I can get this. He punched you and knocked you out. Yeah, that's what. You the, woke up. The bare-knuckle boxing. <laughs> I woke up just throwing punches and was in a hospital somewhere that I didn't recognize in Boca Raton. Um, <laughs> that Actually, that last part's not true. Not last year anyways. The Max Kepler thing that was really interesting to me, as I said, a lot of times young players will come in in a part-time role and sort of break in in that. As a fourth outfielder, you wouldn't get as much regular playing time. Are you comfortable with that sort of a role? And he said no. And I was like, okay, this we're getting one one and two word answers. This conversation not going anywhere. I said, could you? Okay. Um, now I'm sweating and I'm like a little nervous. And I don't get nervous talking to athletes, but in this case, I was like, I really screwed this conversation up. Uh, could like could you elaborate? And he did, and it was profound. I thought he said, well. I mean, you look at my age, and you look at where I've come through in the minor leagues, and I feel like I've sort of proved some things last year, but also there's still tons of work left to be done. I still have so much more that I want to accomplish in the game. I I think the way you're asking the question, you think that my mindset or that my eyesight is on the immediate goal, which is getting to the big leagues. And I'm looking farther beyond that to the horizon, which is, being a consistently good player in the big leagues. That's that's my motivation. It's got it's got nothing to do with just breaking in. So to answer your question about fourth outfielder, like my understanding is those guys don't play quite as much and where I am at my age and my development curve, I would rather be playing every day so that I can get to the point where I'm sure. a good everyday major league player. And it sounds maybe that sounds corny to listeners um or to people who who aren't frequently like having that back and forth dialogue but i thought that was so rare that usually it is oh yeah i want to get mine like you know i hope i don't want my teammates to get hurt but i hope they decide that i'm better than him so i'm the starter he seems to have an amazing quiet confidence about him and, a and you can just sort of tell by his demeanor and his body language and just being around him a little bit he i wouldn't call him arrogant but he knows he's, he's the man yeah. like he, yes. he knows he's going to be a very good player in the major leagues his approach has very few leaks in it too, and um, and he flipped the switch around age twenty or twenty one, and when when people thought that maybe he was going to be a long time minor league developmental sure. project, so and he all of a sudden has turned into a bright young player at an age he's not twenty six or twenty seven and took forever to come through the system like Trevor Plouffe may have, mm-hmm. or like Brian Dozier did. He's going to be potentially really good for a prime of eight, nine, ten years. Curious to see what happens next year. I think that this bust-out is much more legit than what we've seen for from sure. Kenny Vargas, from Eddie Rosario, from Danny Santana. Um, if I'm ranking those in order, they might be in reverse of what I just said. I might say, like, Kepler, Rosario, Vargas, Santana. Yeah. Um, I want to wrap up by by going with my the eight performance enhancers because I think away. it outlines the fact that we sort of just, like, decided what's okay and what's not. Not just... 
in baseball, but societally, it's kind of like, okay, well, these drugs are good because they help you combat depression, and depression's bad. And these drugs are bad because I said so. I want you to know that the, uh, the Kmart cologne you're wearing today is not a performance enhancer, okay? Right. Whatever you think that's doing for you, it's not enhancing your performance. Today. We can talk about the scale of addiction and all of these things, too, and that would help <laughs> explain the Kmart cologne. Um, Kmart's still open. They're closing that Kmart on uh, over on uh, Lindale. Yeah, what are you going to do? I Luckily, I'm stocked up. They uh, sell them in 10-gallon jugs. By the way, we are taking advertisers on the Touch Mall <laughs> podcast. So, Kmart, if you want to turn your business around, we're uh, here for you. Hey, we'll stop being facetious about it. Yeah. All right, um, what are your eight? Uh, first, I do have to give a quick plug. Please check out my email list. If you like the Five Thoughts column, if you like this podcast, go to any of my recent Five Thoughts podcasts or my Five Thoughts columns and put your email in there because I'll send you every single column. You won't have to worry about missing another one. Don't worry. You'll never miss a column if you're on the email list. My eight performance enhancers that have greatly increased the quality of my life over the past, let's say, five years since sort of stumbling on each of these and and uh, you know implementing one a month or trying to figure out, like, hey, what helps, what hurts, sort of like self-assessment kind of stuff. First. Nail clippers. No, I saw that on Twitter, though. I thought that was a weird one. Okay. Um, what, why, like, why are nail clippers in the same – it's low on the spectrum of performance and answers. <laughs> like, I guess if your nails just continued to grow forever. I mean, if I'm a pitcher, I wouldn't want nail clippers. I want to dig into that baseball. Yeah. Right? I, maybe I like, file my nails on a rock or something like that. And <laughs> in that case, yeah, nail clippers do save time and effort. Um, first, vegetables. And I'm not joking. Oh, this is a serious list. This is a serious list of eight things oh, wow. that help me. Okay. Vegetables. No one gives vegetables enough credit. You need to eat – I promise you if you're listening to this podcast, you most likely need to eat more vegetables. So you would uh, you would test positive for, like, broccoli. For sure. It's the biggest sin that you would have in your – okay. Yeah, I don't know how they call it a sin, but, like, eat more vegetables. Number two, daily physical activity. It doesn't have to be a lot. Okay. If you can bike to work five minutes or whatever or, like, play a one game of tennis or go for a short swim. Daily physical activity is huge. Uh, do you own a bike suit, like a Lance Armstrong I suit? I don't. Okay. Would you like to see me no, in a Lance I advise Armstrong against bike those. Suit? Okay, just go out there, put some put some regular <laughs> shorts on, guys. Yes. You please. don't need the Lance Armstrong bike suit. They're more aerodynamic. And God knows what that thing smells like when you're done with your two hour trail ride. They're more aerodynamic. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Uh, healthy fats. I'm talking avocado, things like that. Uh, don't stop eating fats. People want to, like, avoid fats. No, fats are good for you. You just have to have them in the right proportion. Coffee is a huge performance enhancer. Coffee's for, for closers, too. Coffee and enhances my performance every day. Although I didn't have coffee today. Usually I'll chug a cup of coffee before I come on Caribou Coffee because we are looking for sponsors on this wonderful podcast. Or Don Brothers. <laughs> I'm wide open. Yeah. Starbucks, do not call me. I do not like Starbucks coffee. Um, number five, restful sleep. Nobody gets enough sleep. Rest. Uh, don't go on your phone just before you go to bed. Your brain's not going to sleep the same way. Number, what is this, six? Vitamin D supplements. Vitamin D is important if you're not getting enough sun. And six months out of the year, if you live in Minnesota, you're not getting enough sun. And number eight, the cream in the clear. Yeah, right, yeah. Anabolic steroids yeah. are number six, seven, and eight. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely – You could now I'm going to get started on my steroid brand apparently. Oh, we oh gotta, yeah. You, we got to go. You can, you can, you can inject yourself with cortisone and get back from an injury quicker, but not with HGH to get back from an injury quicker. Mm -hmm. In fact – 
the difference in those two things is so vast that we might not allow you to sit on our enshrinement mantle yeah. hall of fame after your career is over. So thank you for entertaining us, but next time you must entertain us in the way that we decide is socially acceptable. By the way, my my uh, my only two performance enhancers are bratwurst and whiskey. <laughs>